Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. And we welcome the folks that are watching from home. And I, we have new cameras in here. And usually there's a light on the camera. And when the light's on, I can kind of look at the camera. But there are no lights on these cameras. So I'm just going to have to look at you folks. I've got to have something to look at. So I look at your smiling faces. Uh, we're going to talk about the idea of waiting. I don't think anybody likes to wait. I certainly don't. Uh, I would sure like for things to speed up sometimes, and a few times I wanted to slow down. But waiting, and uh, after the resurrection, for 40 days, Jesus appeared and communicated with the 11 apostles, and this recorded in the Gospels, and the book of Acts. And we're going to look at what happened in the book of Acts as they were waiting. We've already had two stories. One had to do with uh, the road to Emmaus and Jesus' appearance to those people. And then last week was breakfast on the beach. And today we're going to talk about the words that Jesus spoke before he ascended into heaven. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And Luke did research on this and interviewed people. And uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians said at one time Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at one time. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, the resurrection was not the end of the story. Actually, the resurrection was just the beginning of the rest of the story. It was like a sequel. A sequel takes place as a result of a previous story. And the resurrection and crucifixion was the previous story. But we've moved into a new story, a new chapter in what God is doing in the world to bring the world to himself. And little did the apostles and the people around Jesus at that time fully understand what was to come. But by the time this story in Acts is given, they had sort of gotten over their fear of a resurrected Jesus and their kind of disbelief. Could this really happen? And they were a part, they were central characters, unknowingly, to a story that would go on to this very day. In fact, we are here today because they participated in the story of God and the kingdom of God. And we pick up the sequel this morning as Jesus is ready to depart. And he had some final things that he wanted to say to them. And we're going to look at this in three scenes. The first scene is that they were eating a meal together. It says in Acts 1-4, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Eating together. You know, if you did a Bible study on how often it's recorded of Jesus eating with people or feeding people, you realize that this was a place of life and intimacy with Jesus. And you know, the same is true of us today, isn't it? When we gather together with folks... And we share a meal with them, and where there's laughter, and there's storytelling, that, that there's a closeness that begins to occur. 
And even after the resurrection, Jesus ate with his apostles and for sure with other people. I did campus ministry at UNL for 41 years. And what I noticed is that if you had a college student and if you could somehow slide that college student's legs under your dining room table, everything began to change. They began to be more open and began to be willing to hear maybe the word of God in a way that they wouldn't if they're just sitting like this in rows looking at the back of somebody's head. And Jesus had intimacy. That was what he desired, to be intimate with these folks. And in verses 4 and 5, this is what he commanded them. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Now, they were not from Jerusalem. These were Galileans. They were homeboys. Jerusalem was the big city. And Jesus had been appearing to them over these 40 days, and his command is, wait. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus had taught about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14 through 16, and we really do not know what the disciples understood about the Holy Spirit as Jesus spoke these words. My assumption is that a lot of things Jesus said were just like over their heads. Just like for you and me. You know, if I ask you on Tuesday afternoon, what did I speak about this morning? You'd probably go, hmm, oh, I'm not sure. If you asked me Wednesday morning what I spoke about, I would go, let me think. I'm not sure. So many things just good over our heads, don't they? When we hear somebody speak. And so we don't know what they heard when Jesus said these words, that you will be filled with the Spirit, you'll be baptized with the Spirit. And I don't know what, in this audience, what you know about the Holy Spirit, but I can just tell you that the next series we do is going to be about the Holy Spirit. We're going to have several weeks where we look Not an exhaustive view of the Holy Spirit, but we look at several very important things about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is essential as we live the Christian life. And it was essential for these men and the women that they would understand what it meant to be filled with the Spirit. So he said, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes that I promised you. And then the second scene comes, and we don't know where the first scene occurred. It was around a meal. We don't know if it was in the upper room in Jerusalem or where it was, but the second scene is in the Mount of Olives. And uh, at the base of the mountain of the, of the Mount of Olives is the Garden of Gethsemane, and I think we have a picture of that. And uh, this is a picture that Brent Watson took on a trip to the Holy Land in 2006, And I don't know if you can see the wall of Jerusalem behind there and the Dome of the Rock behind that. But this was a garden, and this was uh, taken in 2006, and it looks pretty much the same today. Um, But that was the place where Jesus prayed the night before he was killed. 
And it was a special place for them. And if you climbed the mountain behind the Garden of Gethsemane, that's the Mount of Olives, and we have a picture of that. And the Mount of Olives is about a half a mile from the Dome of the Rock, and it's about 100 feet higher than the Garden of Gethsemane. And so they passed through the Garden of Gethsemane and climbed to the top of the Mount of Olives. And it was a place in that day that, at least Wikipedia says, that uh, they had buried uh, Israeli kings there. And right now, there are 70, over 70,000 mausoleums on the south side of the Mount of Olives. So it was a burial place then, and it's a burial place now. And in verse 1-6, it says, Then he gathered around him, they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're wanting to know the timing. They're, not, they're like you and me. We don't want to wait. Lord, just give us the timetable. When is this going to be? And I'm kind of thinking from the context of this that they thought it was going to be now. They thought Jesus was going to snap his fingers and the Romans would be wiped out and that the kingdom of Israel would be restored. And, um, but he said, and he did say, don't leave Jerusalem. And so maybe that would be a clue, you know, don't leave Jerusalem. He's going to do something here. He's going to restore the kingdom here. It makes me think of Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, where it says, God speaks through Isaiah and says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, we can think what we want, and we do, but we think we've got to take into account that God's got a plan, that he has his thoughts, he has his ways of moving things. And I've learned this, that if you learn to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you'll begin to desire what he desires. It's so easy for us to live our life out of just what we desire, but what God calls us to do is to give him our desires and to get to know him and allow him to mold our desires to be like his desires. Mary and I have been married 54 years. And when we entered our marriage, I was a fanatic for chocolate ice cream and she was a fanatic for vanilla ice cream. So goes our life. All 54 years. We're on different sides of most everything. But you know what? After living with this woman and loving her for 54 years, I will take a good vanilla bean ice cream over any chocolate ice cream every day. Why? Because I love her, because she's the one that bought the groceries, right? (laughs) (laughs) And so it's like... I have come to love that because I love her. And that's how it is in walking with God and your desires. You may have all kinds of desires, but when you open yourself to love God and know him, your desires will become his desires. 
His desires will become your desires. Someone once said regarding God's will, love God with all your heart, then do what you want because you will want what God wants. Well, unfortunately, I'm not there yet. And you probably aren't either. And neither were these first apostles. They, they, they had thoughts other than God's thoughts. They wanted a political kingdom. And in their mind, what God was going to do was restore the kingdom to Israel. Whereas we know God's plan was a different kind of kingdom. Not a political kingdom, but a kingdom where every name... Every tribe, every language would be included in his kingdom. He said in verse 7 and 8, It's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria And to the ends of the earth. He says it's not for you to know the times the Father has set. He has set times. You know what? The world's not running loose. God is the author and finisher of human history. He has set times that he's not telling us about. When Jesus will come back. When world figures will be brought to their knees before the Lord Jesus. God has a time for that. But until that time, Jesus said, I want you to be my witnesses. One day, the horn will blow and Jesus will return. But until that day, he's called us to be his witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's like these last words of Jesus to his followers after his resurrection was he was restating the Great Commission, a global vision, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." Three things that I get from this verse in uh, Acts. And first is that the global task is simultaneous, not sequential. It says in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The conjunction is, not, is an and and not then. It's not Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. It was simultaneous, all these things at one time, that the kingdom would move out like that. I've heard people say, well, why should we go to the nations? Why should we do that when America has such needs? And I don't disagree that America has such needs, that we need the gospel. But what Jesus commanded us to do is to do both and. That we reach folks where we are and We reach out as he leads us. You see, a global church is a healthy church. And God's heart is that we would be global. So as I was meditating on this uh, this week, 
I thought, well, how is New Cove doing? How are we doing? And so I, I broke up New Cove into four pieces, into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what's New Cove's reach been in the last 10 years? And Jerusalem, I said, was like in the New Cove building. Let's say this is Jerusalem. And here's what happens in the New Cove building. A worship team up here on the stage. The welcome team greeted you came in. You may know it, not know, but we have a security team to keep us safe. We have vacation Bible school coming up, kids ministry, both Sundays and crew. There are youth ministries, connection class, secret church last week, men's ministry, the chili feed, women's ministry, and mops. And that's what happens in Jerusalem. Now, let me ask you this. If you have been a part of volunteering and serving in any of these Jerusalem things in this church, would you stand up right now? Thank you. You may be seated. Then Jerusalem, you move to Judea, outside the building, but still local. Jerusalem was in the, na- in the state, let's say, of Judea. And outside the building, New Cove has small groups, Fresh Start, Friendship Home, St. Monica, the father-son camping trips coming up this summer. We have volleyball and sports tournaments that are happening this spring out here in the pavilion, the volleyball court. We gave away $10,000 at Christmas, uh, and we're part of the Nebraska Church Network. Now, if you've been involved in any of those outside the building things, would you stand up? Wonderful. Okay, you can sit down. We're giving you a little exercise this morning. And then Samaria. Samaria would be the cultural or geographic distance. And uh, that would be Builders for Christ and youth mission trips, refugee work, and a house church that the Browns have started, the Royal Family Kids Camp, International Student Fellowship in Kansas, Nebraska, Baptist. If you've been involved with those, would you stand up? Thank you. And then to the ends of the earth, that's outside the USA. Shoebox, the Congo and one thread that we heard about a few weeks ago. India, Persians in the Middle East. China, Ireland, Germany, South Asia, International Mission Board. If you've been involved in those things the last 10 years, would you stand up? Remain standing. And if you've stood up for anything else, would you stand up? Jerusalem, Judea, keep standing. If you've volunteered in those things. Now look around, folks. This is a healthy church. It's a global church. That's why the people who came and surveyed us and said, let's put you under the microscope and see who you are. They're like, whoa, this is a transformative church. And it's that way because of you. Because of your volunteering and your serving. You may be seated. 
The second thing I get from this passage is not just the uh, simultaneous nature of the outreach of the kingdom, but that the Holy Spirit is essential in fulfilling the global task. It says in Acts 1-8, you receive the Holy Spirit when power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And after three years of walking with Jesus, these disciples and the people following Jesus were not prepared. They lacked something. You see, no list of degrees after your name, no techniques, none of that would qualify you to be a world changer in the way Jesus saw those men and women that he was involved with post-resurrection. The thing that Jesus said would qualify us is that we are filled with his Holy Spirit. It's not by might or by power, but by his Spirit. And uh, it's a spiritual task, not an educational task. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The third thing I get is Jesus' strategy and plan was that spirit-filled men and women would be released as witnesses into the world. You will be my witnesses. Now, to me, this seems like a big risk. Here Jesus has broken down the barrier between God and man at the cross, been raised from the dead, and has opened up all eternity for us. And he is going to put the future of the kingdom in the hands of people who 40 days before had denied him, abandoned him, and had failed him in so many ways. A big risk. And he was commissioning them to go to the whole world with the good news. And these are homeboys from Galilee. And I'm thinking... Gee, Jesus, is this smart? (laughs) And I think looking back on history, we'd say, it wasn't smart. It was brilliant. Because it didn't involve telegraph, telephone, television. There was no mass communication. It was simply these people being witnesses to what they knew of Jesus to other people. In the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? It worked. Here we are today. And millions and millions today. Gathered around the world. Are singing their songs of worshiping Jesus. And they're trying to align their lives with Jesus. Like we are today. Why? Because his plan worked. The Holy Spirit. In in his believers. Filling them. And empowering them to be witnesses to people around them. Pretty amazing. That was God's plan then. And it's planned now. The third scene also happens in the Mount of Olives. And it seems in the context that happened immediately. After he gave them the command to be witnesses. And in Zechariah 4.14. Zechariah chapter 14. If you haven't read it. And I'm sure you probably haven't. You ought to read it. Because when you meet. Uh, Zachariah in heaven, you can say, I read chapter 14 of your book, and I really liked it. Uh, 
Zechariah 14 is about the second coming of Jesus, prophesied in the Old Testament. And this prophecy says this, On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. That's where they were standing, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half of the mountain moving south. A prophecy was made in 520 B.C. that this was going to happen when Jesus returns, the Messiah returns. In 1964, they were surveying Jerusalem. And do you know what? They found a fault line in the Mount of Olives that goes from east to west. The world is simply waiting for Jesus to return. And these men on the mountain were not unfamiliar with Zechariah or his prophecies. And I wonder if they thought, okay, take a deep breath, guys. Now is the time. But were they ever surprised? Acts 1, 9 through 11, it says, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. I'm sure those guys are standing there going, golly, looking up. I don't know if it was like a Saturn V or an Artemis. It'll be interesting to see how the Chosen depicts this if they get to it. It was unexpected. They didn't know that the kingdom of God had been handed to them and that their witness was totally crucial. But they did know that he said, wait. And you know what? That's what they did. They waited in Jerusalem for 10 days. And then, boom, the Holy Spirit came. You don't want to get me started on this this morning because it's an incredible story. But it's a story that we'll be unpacking as we deal with the Holy Spirit series of what it means for the Holy Spirit to indwell people. And I hate to stop here because it's just getting good. He came on the apostles, the disciples, both men and women, and even on his brothers. The Holy Spirit came, and here we are today. Wow. So there are two takeaways. I'd like to invite the the band to come up. Two takeaways this morning. One would be, man, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what they needed back 2,000 years ago, and that's what I need today. And I need to pray. I need to say to God, God, help me understand what it means to be filled with your Spirit. And if I'm not filled with your Spirit, would you lead me to be? Which will involve just confession, repentance, and living in His presence every day. 
and trusting him to fill you with the spirit. This summer, I installed uh, Microsoft Word on my Mac computer. That's like oil and water, right? And I'd had it before, but my everything had run out and I needed to re-up. So I did what I needed to do installing this thing, and it didn't work. So I called the magic number, and actually I finally got someone who spoke English that I could understand. And I explained my problem, and they said, oh, you need to activate it. It's like, okay, how do I activate it? And they gave me some ideas on how to activate it. And I did what they told me. And you know what? Microsoft Word came on. It's like, ah, hallelujah. And I think what you need to realize is that you already have the Holy Spirit. If you believe in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. But you need to activate the Holy Spirit. You need him to begin to work in your life. So maybe that's the first takeaway. A second is, I need to volunteer in God's global task. Now, many of you, if not most of you, have already done that in the last 10 years. You stood up, you, you owned that. And I would just say, keep doing it. And if you didn't stand up, would you consider volunteering and getting involved in God's global task? And Maybe it'd be here in the building with children, youth, small groups, refugees. Maybe in other ministries like Builders for Christ, Royal Family Kids Camp, One Thread Shoebox, or overseas opportunities that are coming. We consistently have opportunities for people to travel overseas in short-term mission things. Maybe it's your time to, to take a deep breath and to dive in to fulfilling the Great Commission. We're going to sing a song now, or they're going to sing a song. I'm not. Um, Yeah, good amen. And uh, I would invite you to listen to this song and just meditate on the words we've read of what Jesus said to those first followers. And I think he's saying those things to us today.